This episode is sponsored by Uncle John's Bathroom Reader Series. If you're looking for fun trivia to impress family and friends this holiday season, look no further. Since 1987, 1987, Portable Press has provided facts and trivia to those who crave it with the Uncle John's Bathroom Reader Series. With over 15 million books sold, this is the longest running, most popular series of its kind. This year, they're celebrating 30 years of bringing trivia to the masses, and they are not slowing down yet. Want to sample dose of trivia, go to portablepress.com slash all the books to download a 20 page free sample of the new 30th anniversary title, Uncle John's Old Faithful Bathroom Reader, or follow them on social media at Portable Press for more trivia and frequent book giveaways. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 130, and today we are talking about books being released on October 24th, 2017, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with my fellow podcast, Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello. Hi there, kitten pants. I finally sound like myself again. (laughs) Yeah, it took you a while to shake that cold. It did. The season is weird. Like I think the weather is weird everywhere. It definitely has been affecting me, but I'm finally recovered. I can enunciate again, which is very exciting when part of your job is talking so that people (laughs) can listen. So they know what you're saying. (laughs) Yes. Everything is much clearer now. It would be easier if we had, if we did this on video, then we could just gesture. Oh my gosh. But then we'd have to wear pants. Well, yeah. (laughs) Maybe not. Maybe it could just be like, It'll, we would just be talking heads. Waste up. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> so so we had exciting weekends. We did. You want to talk to me about your weekend first? <gasps> uh, I did the Dewey's Readathon. Yes. Yeah, I read for How 24 many? hours. You did so. all 24? Well, oh, yeah, I did. always try for all 24. Plus, I, I was running the social media on Litzy for them. Um, mm. And so, I mean, I nodded off a couple of times. Is there anything worse than that feeling of, like, when you feel your head snap down and up, you know, it's like being in school again. Uh, But I did, I I tried, you know, I read as much as I could. And then when it was all finished, I took a nap. And when I woke up, I like, I had this like blurry dark spot over my left eye. And I was like, I have done it. I have finally (laughs) broken my eyes with reading. Like everyone told me I was going to. I read myself blind. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, ah. And I went and looked in the mirror, and I had, like, a little piece of red confetti stuck to my eyeball <laughs> that had fallen off this, like, piece of scrapbooking paper that I had been using earlier. <laughs> you just read like, oh, until okay. you dropped. Oh, that's funny. But for a brief moment, I was terrified. <laughs> How many books did you read? I read eight. Whew, pretty good. Any yeah. highlights? Um, a lot of them. Uh, one of which I will talk about. Two of which. Wait, no, I had already read one. One of which I will talk about today. No, two of them. Yeah, I don't know. I can't do math. I just read books. Um, yeah, definitely. And uh, I read The Field Guide to Redheads, which was adorkable. Which is just like a little picture book about people with red hair. Famous people. Not us. That's a whole other book. Not yet. Yeah. Yeah. So, and you, I know what you did this weekend for the first time. Woo! I taught my first yoga class. And how was that? It was great. Um, actually, it was just a demo among like my whole teaching cohort, all the people that I'm in training with. So we each had to teach a 30-minute demo. Um, most classes are like 60 or 75 or even 90 minutes long. So it was really just dipping a toe 
into the waters, but it went really well. Um, I've been having a lot of fun and learning a whole lot in the training, and now we are halfway through the five-month, six-month program for the 200 hours. So it's kind of cool to like, I mean, I really love the feeling of being a student, and so it's been really nice to be learning something that I didn't really know much about going in, um, where, you know, I'm kind of embedded in the world of books and reading. It's cool to be discovering kind of a new thing to learn about. And I opened my class with a Mary Oliver quote, and I closed it with Teddy Roosevelt and Brene Brown. So it was fully Shinskied and it went really well. <laughs> I had a lot of fun. Um, I went into the training not really thinking I wanted to teach, but just doing it to see what I could learn and to deepen my own yoga practice. And I think that I probably will try to teach now, maybe just like one class a week or something. Um, but it's really been rewarding and interesting. And that was nerve wracking. Like I just had to remind myself that I was only teaching a class to seven people and it wasn't the same as like interviewing Walter Mosley on stage at Book Riot Live. And that, <laughs> <laughs> that helped a lot. But it was great. Imagine if you could teach yoga to Walter Mosley. Mosley. New life goal. That would be amazing. <laughs> While wearing my unicorn horn that you gave me for our, <laughs> our live show last year. Um, it's all coming together, Lib. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> yes, that, it was a good weekend. And um, I have been reading the new Meg Wallitzer book that's coming out in the spring, The Female Persuasion. So that's what I did yesterday. Just laid around on the couch and read Meg Wallitzer and it was great. That's a good weekend. Not, I'm not complaining. The readathon is too spicy for me. Like, I think I did it, I tried it once when I was um, first blogging, maybe in like 2009. And I made it about 14 hours, but it took me about a week to recover from just all of that and then the not sleeping. So yeah. now I just che cheer people on for the readathon. But like, the, the basic goal is just to set aside some time for reading and, you know, yeah, you do what you do and it's fun. Plus, you get to tell it like, follow hashtags and talk to other people about what they're reading and all that stuff. So it's fun. Um, would you like to hear about some uh, books that we have read? I yeah. definitely <laughs> We definitely should probably talk would. about some. Um, last week I opened with a nice one. This week I'm going to open with a devastating one. Well, um, good. But it's so, so good because it's by Jason Reynolds and you know he's amazing. Uh, it's Long Way Down. And this was uh, one of the National Book Award longlist nominees. And it's this really powerful look at the sort of eye for an eye makes the whole world blind theory. Um, mm. And it's written in prose. Like, if you read Brown Girl Dreaming, it's it's written like that. You know, it's in prose form. Um, it's about a young man named Will. He's 15 years old. And when the book opens, his brother has just been shot in the street um, while he's on the way to back from the store. Um, and his older brother is everything to him, and Will is devastated, and, you know, this is sort of uh, a common thing that he's seen in his neighborhood. Um, and so Will knows that his brother had a gun, and he knows where that gun is, and he's sure that he knows who killed his brother. Um, and there are certain rules of their neighborhood, you know, there's no crying, and there's no snitching, and you must always get revenge. So Will, you know, the, that night decides he knows what he has to do. He has to go and, and kill the man who has killed his brother. Because, like, in the neighborhood, like, nobody talks about this. It's almost like, you know, everyone is invisible. You know, as soon as as soon as something like this happens, nobody tells the police. No one, you know, says anything. But he knows who it is. He's going to get revenge for his brother. So he gets in the elevator in his apartment building, and he pushes the lobby button. And then the rest of the book is, like, a couple-minute journey on that elevator down to the bottom floor. And oh, wow. It, and as he starts his descent, the the elevator stops and a guy gets on 
And the guy's like, hey, it's Will. You know, hey, how's it going? And, and you know, the, he's like, I don't know who you are. And he's like, sure you do. I'm Buck. And, you know, Will's like, oh, of course, you're Buck. And then he realizes, well, Buck is dead. Buck was a local drug dealer who used to work at the corner near where they lived. And he was shot and killed. Um, but now here he is standing in his elevator and he's talking to Will. Um, and he's talking to Will like, you know, oh, you know, it's terrible about like what happened to your brother. And, you know, he starts talking to him about like... Do you know anything about shooting a gun? And do you know, like, he just knows that Will has a gun on him, you know? And he asks him, like, why he he thinks who the killer is. Like, how do you know for sure? And he has Will questioning, like, everything that he thinks he knows and everything he thinks he needs to do. And, you know, as the, as the elevator drops down to the floor, you know, there are more stops and more people get on. And it's just this, like, minutes-long ride that he takes... It's just so smart and so devastating, you know, because he's just in, he's grieving and he doesn't know what to do and he wants to do what's right by his brother, but he doesn't know if he's, if he can do this. Um, It's just, it's absolutely amazing. And it's Long Way Down by Jason Reynolds. Who? Yeah. My first one is not quite that heavy, but definitely a thinker. Uh, It's The River of Consciousness by Oliver Sacks. This is one of the two books that he was working on at the time of his death a couple of years ago. And people who had been working with him for a long time, long time sort of students and collaborators and his long time editor pulled pulled it together. It's a collection of essays. Um, If you are unfamiliar with Oliver Sacks, you probably are actually familiar with him and you don't know it. He wrote The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat. Um, a book called Awakenings that was turned into a movie that Robin Williams starred in, Um, another one called An Anthropologist on Mars. He had one called Music Aphilia that was about sort of the neurology of and the neuroscience of why we love music and different things that happen with people's musical abilities related to different brain injuries and uh, neurological developments. Really just a fascinating man. Jeff and I on the uh, Book Riot podcast uh, like to joke, but in a lot of seriousness, that Oliver Sacks is actually the most interesting man on earth, Um, a true polymath. And this collection of essays really brings that to light where most of his books previously drew on his experiences as a neurologist and as a psychologist and the patients that he worked with. This is more of a look at the things that Oliver Sacks was just fascinated with um, in the world. And that's chemistry. It's the history of evolution, um, sort of how Darwin came to become famous, lots of stuff about philosophy and psychology, but also you get like a long essay about botany and why he was completely um, just fascinated by that. There's pieces about animal anatomy, little bits and uh sort of little bits and bobs throughout about his own childhood, his life. I texted Jeff at one point that Oliver Sacks had a pet tortoise when he was a child, and sometimes it took the tortoise a whole day to cross the front lawn. Like, um, if you've read Oliver Sacks and been interested in who the person is, he had a great memoir out a few years ago. And this collection of essays I found to be also a really wonderful look into the mind of, I think, one of the smartest and most interesting thinkers that we had writing in the 20th and early 21st century. Um, It's 
far ranging. Um, we, I think I hear the term polymath thrown around, not all the time, but pro- with more frequency than it deserves. But I think Oliver Sacks really was a person who exemplified that. He was interested in so much about the world and he was so knowledgeable and well and widely read that you see in these essays the connections that he drew between seemingly unrelated things, uh, but that being able to draw those connections helped him be a person who could think about the world in a larger and more connected way um, that, that led to the kind of work that he did dealing with really big questions about the brain and about humanity and sort of who we are and why we are that way. I, it's a This is a serious, thinky collection of essays, but if you like Oliver Sacks, you're going to dig it. Uh, again, it is called The River of Consciousness by Oliver Sacks. I love him. I know. He's so wonderful. Um, there's no easy segue, so would you just like me to move on and tell you about our first sponsor this week? No. No? I guess we're done here then. I'm a loose cannon today. I was unprepared for you to tell me no, but I guess you should never ask a question that you don't know the answer to, right? Of course I do. Please continue. <laughs> oh, great. Third Love is back to sponsor the show this week. We've talked about it many times before. It's definitely no secret here on all the books that bra shopping is a total drag. Um, I hate... Having a salesperson who doesn't know me call me sweetie. I hate trying to shove my body into a predetermined, very limited set of bra sizes. The lighting is always terrible. It's just kind of a universally bad experience. So imagine that you could skip the hassle and find the perfect fitting bra in minutes, also without leaving your house. It sounds pretty great, right? And that is why you've got to check out Third Love. You go to thirdlove.com slash books. Take their online fit finder quiz that will recommend the bra size, the bra and the size that's right for you. They will also tell you about the styles that seem best for your body. And they are obsessed with finding the perfect fit, which is why Third Love is the only lingerie brand that offers half cups, uh, half cup sizes um, in several sets. So I think there's an A and a half and a B and a half if you're between A and B um, or between a B and a C. And best of all, you can try one of these amazingly comfortable bras for free for 30 days. You'll just pay $2.99 for shipping. You really do try the bra in the way that you would you know, try out any bra in your life, cut the tag off, wash it, wear it, take it on a trip, whatever it is that, you know, you normally do in and with your bra. You might even forget that it's on. If your third love bra isn't your new favorite, no problem. You can return it or exchange it for free. I have done this personally. I started buying third love bras after they gave us free ones. Um, Advertising on the show, I have enjoyed mine that much and found them to be that comfortable. And I discovered that I changed sizes in the last six months and did need to exchange one. And that happened. No problem. Uh, So if you want to try it out for yourself, go to thirdlove.com slash books now to find your perfect fitting bra and try it for 30 days. That's thirdlove.com slash books. Well done. Thank you. Uh, speaking of books, because I, no, I, I have no segue at all. Uh, we should retitle <laughs> our podcast, Speaking of Books. Um, my next pick is Ruby and Olivia by Rachel Hawkins. She wrote the Hex Hall series and the Rebel Bells series. And this is a middle grade novel, actually. And I like it because it's called Gently Creepy in the description on the back. And I was reading it and I was like, I'm a little creeped out. I'm gently creeped out. Um, It's about two girls. I bet you can't guess their names. Time's up. It's Ruby and Olivia. (laughs) Olivia is 
uh, twin. She has a twin sister named Emma, and they grew up and they were always very close, but recently she and Emma have drifted apart. Emma has become very rebellious, whereas Olivia always likes to follow the rules and not get in trouble. Um, and recently, at the end of the school year, they're, they're 12, um, Emma gets caught stealing a lipstick in a department store, and Olivia takes the blame for it because she knows that if Emma gets caught, she won't be able to attend the camp that she really, really, really wants to go to. So Olivia, out of love for her sister, uh, takes the blame for Emma's thievery and ends up being sent to Camp Chrysalis herself, which is a sort of rehabilitation camp for juvenile offenders. And she goes there and they learn that they are going to spend the summer cleaning a mansion in town, this creepy old mansion that they're going to like rejuvenate uh, and turn into like a function hall. Um, and joining her are some other children who have had some trouble of their own, including Ruby, who was Emma's former best friend. Um, and Olivia has never liked Ruby. She always felt like Ruby came between her and Emma and it was the beginning of her, her separation from Emma. So she's miserable. She's there cleaning a house, you know, that, for a crime that she did not commit with someone she can't stand. Ruby herself is very outgoing. There was a uh, glitter incident at a rival school, and that's why she's there uh, helping to clean the house. And so she's just miserable. But she begrudgingly begins to talk to Ruby when it turns out that she and Ruby are the only two people that can hear the creepy music box music that's playing in the house. And so... Based on this, they start to decide that they should really investigate, and they're not supposed to, like, go off on their own in the house, but they decide they're going to investigate, because, you know, if you're scared, why not go look for it, right? Um, I never identify with any of these these books, because I'm like, I would be out of there, I would move to a different town. You're, like, five states away, checking oh, to a hotel yeah. already. Oh, yeah. I watch, like, scary movies, and I don't think people are nearly as scared in movies as I, as I think they should be. Like, I would just, I would just fate. My head would explode, you know, like stuff like that, you know? So, but hey, I'm a big baby. So they start looking into where this music box music is coming from. And it turns out it's related to a set of unidentified twins from some old photos. Um, oh, that's not good <laughs> at all. Yeah. And then to make matters worse, there's also some spooky doll stuff. So it's oh, just, God. yeah, but it's, it's really funny. Rachel Hawkins is, is funny, like no matter what she writes, like I love her books. Um, it's very funny, and it definitely was a little spooky. And the chapters go back and forth between the points of view from of Ruby and Olivia with an occasional um, printout of their, like, hangout chats that they're having online. Uh, it's just, it's absolutely delightful. It's gently delightful. Um, again, it's Ruby and Olivia by Rachel Hawkins. <laughs> gently delightful. I just love that. <laughs> You are braver than I am. I haven't read anything really scary since Bird Box. <laughs> oh, I just read his new book this weekend. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Bob is on an audiobook kick right now, and I keep being like, you need to listen to Bird Box because I can't imagine anything scarier. Like, I read it, <laughs> and, I, and the whole time I was reading it, I was thinking, oh my gosh, this would be terrifying on audio. And so I guess now I need Bob to just be like driving around Richmond terrified. Um, <laughs> he woke him out of the fun. car. He, like, he, yeah, phones, yeah, he phones you Bob's in the house. Sitting, <laughs> sitting in the driveway. <laughs> I need an escort to the front door, please. <laughs> yeah, not the same kind of driveway moment that they talk about on NPR. Yeah. As long as he's not driving with a blindfold on. <laughs> right. 
I was like, it's the season where it's going to get darker early. And so when you're driving home from work, it might be dark and you can listen to Bird Box and then you'd be so scared. And he was like, why would I? Okay, whatever, honey. Yeah. Okay, honey. He just listened to Broken Monsters, which I also thought would have been way creepy on audio. So yeah, whatever. Uh, my next pick this week is delicious. Literally, it is Smitten Kitchen Every Day, a new cookbook, triumphant and unfussy new favorites. Um, I love Smitten Kitchen. I've only been following them online for maybe a year or so, but probably like once a week, I see something that they put on Instagram and I'm like, I need to cook that tonight. And so the variety in my cooking oeuvre has expanded exponentially thanks to the random bits of deliciousness that pop up. I love that Smitten Kitchen's food is good. Like it is delicious. It's flavorful. These are like real meals you can make with your partner or for your family, but they're not highfalutin. Like this is not food that's going to take you five hours to cook. And I love Ina Garten, but you like, it's not like the Barefoot Contessa where you need like the milk of seven virgins or something to, you know, something really fancy. Uh, you don't need any, like, <laughs> like haven't you seen that meme? That's like no. a picture of Ina Garten. And it's like, if you don't have the milk of seven virgins, it's okay. Skin will suffice. <laughs> Oh, no, like, I love her, but she. But I'm glad there's a little more context now. <laughs> like, oh, we need meme references for our show. <laughs> um, so on the Barefoot Contessa, she's always talking about these like very fancy high end ingredients that she purchased at some like exclusive tiny little grocer in the Hamptons. And it's like, and if you don't have this really exotic thing, then like a normal person thing will be okay too. <laughs> But the running, like, I think the meme that I've seen is like, and if you don't have the milk of seven virgins, uh, regular butter will be fine. So you don't run into that problem with Smitten Kitchen. These, it's like ingredients that are accessible and easy to find and are not, you know, bonkers, expensive, but the food is really good. Deb Perelman, who is the writer and the cook behind Smitten Kitchen, also gives notes about, uh, if I were going to cook this again, here's how I would change it up and make it even better, which I appreciate. And the story behind this everyday cookbook is these are the recipes that she started cooking when she found herself in a slump of not really loving to cook. So she went back to like, what makes me happy? And the cookbook is beautifully organized. It has uh, breakfasts, it has desserts, it has everything in between. There are vegetable main dishes and meat main dishes, which is unusual in a cookbook. I think usually you get the main dish section and almost all of them have meat. And then there's like a veggie side dishes portion. So this is friendly for vegetarians or if you're doing like meatless Mondays in your house, something like that. You have lots of options and they are intended to be the main dish um, that is vegetarian, not just like you need to make three sides and eat them. I'm not a vegetarian, but I understand that it's an, a challenge uh, in your cooking life often. And vegetarians get overlooked by cookbook writers. So it was cool to see that happen here. I've been cooking a few recipes from it since the book just showed up at my house a couple of weeks ago. Um, cookbooks, often you don't get a long advance on galleys or early copies. So I've tried it out. I've been cooking Smitten Kitchen for a couple of years though. So no surprise that the stuff in this book is great. Um, I think also we're going into the holidays here. I say it at least once on every episode now for the last quarter of the year, but this is a great one to put on your holiday wish list. If you are a home cook, um, if you're like an okay home cook and you want to start cooking some more exciting things, I think Smitten Kitchen is also 
a really good and not intimidating way to go about that. Or if you've got a food loving friend or family member that you're going to be buying a holiday gift for, um, Smitten Kitchen is a great way to go. Lots of sort of American classics, but also she pulls from foods from a lot of other cultures. So there's Italian dishes, there's some Middle Eastern dishes, you get some Greek stuff, a um, little bit of everything. It's really good. So again, it's Smitten Kitchen Every Day, Triumphant and Unfussy New Favorites by Deb Perelman. Nice. Yeah, I love a good cookbook. I've been cooking a lot lately, but I've just been like Googling things. But a lot of the recipes that I come up with have come out of cookbooks. So mm-hmm. um, I might actually you just like, make your own. Get one. Yeah, it's fun though. I like cooking. That's exciting. Uh, my next pick is back to devastating. I thought, you know, I just take you on an emotional roller coaster today. Um, Do we have any serial killers this week, though? <laughs> um, not till the end. So, uh, my next pick is Ghosts of the Tsunami, Death and Life in Japan's Disaster Zone by Richard Lloyd Perry. He wrote the creepiest true crime book I've ever read called People Who Eat Darkness about a creepy, creepy killer in Japan. Um, and I've been anxiously awaiting his next book. Um, and you, you have to be careful what you wish for because it's amazing, but it's so, so sad, too. Just just sad and fascinating. Um, and unlike People Who Eat Darkness, in which he sort of uh, became a part of the story, this story is one he found himself in. Um, he is a reporter for the Asian Bureau of the Times, London. Um, he's lived in Japan for 17 years. And on March 9th, he was in the doctor's office with his wife. They were having an um, ultrasound, but, you know, meeting their, mm-hmm. their unborn child. Um, when they started feeling little tremors. And apparently, I did not realize this. I'm sure lots of people know this already. They have tremors in Japan all the time. Like, like all the time. Um, but two days later, there was a devastating earthquake. Um, it was the, one of the largest earthquakes in history. Over 18,000 people died. Um, it was $210 billion in damage. It's the largest natu- natural disaster in history. It knocked the earth 10 inches off its axis. It moved Japan a little bit closer to the United States. And then, of course, there was the nuclear reactor fire and meltdown in uh, Fukushima after. Um, and, but this just focuses on the earthquake itself. He he talks about that, the devastation. Um, he talks about, again, like the history of earthquakes in Japan, how it's this wasn't uncommon. You know, people were like, oh, well, you know, we have little tremors all the time. You know, this nothing's going to happen. Um, but, you know, most... Um, most places have hard hats in Japan, just just in case, you know, and they also take precautions in a lot of the businesses and schools and everything there, you know, most things are bolted to the walls just in case, you know, something happens. Um, so they were not really expecting this, this devastation, like, of this level to occur. Um, and he, but he goes on and he addresses the lives of the survivors as well as looking at the lives of a few victims. And that's where it gets just heartbreakingly sad. But he's so, so smart and so interesting. And he asks and discusses all the things that you would want to know. Um, It's just completely fascinating. So again, it's called Ghosts of the Tsunami, Death and Life in Japan's Disaster Zone by Richard Lloyd Perry. That does sound tough, but really good. Oh, he's such a great writer. I was like, I wasn't ready for this. I was like, there's going to be a new Richard Lloyd Perry. It's going to be about serial killers. Yay. And I was like, oh. <laughs> so good, though. 
So right, tell me about our next sponsor. Yeah, I'm not even going to ask you because you'll just be like, no. <laughs> <laughs> our next sponsor. What if I were like, sing it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, okay. Our next sponsor is Turtles All the Way Down by John Green. In case you've been living under a rock, John Green has a new book out. It's called Turtles All the Way Down. He returns with his first novel since The Fault in Our Stars. 16-year-old Aza has never intended to pursue the mystery of fugitive billionaire Russell Pickett, but there's a $100,000 reward at stake, and her best and most fearless friend, Daisy, is eager to investigate. So together, they navigate the short distance and broad divides that separate them from Russell Pickett's son, Davis. Aza is trying. She is trying to be a good daughter, a good friend, a good student, and maybe even a good detective, while also living with the ever-tightening spiral of her own thoughts. In his long-awaited return, John Green, the acclaimed award-winning author of Looking for Alaska and the Fault in Our Stars, shares Aza's story with shattering, unflinching clarity in this brilliant novel of love, resilience, and the power of lifelong friendship. So again, it's called Turtles All the Way Down. It's by John Green, and we thank them for sponsoring. All right. Now, I love that. I love the Turtles All the Way Down phrasing. It's so fun. Um, I saw this great, oh, I can't remember what bookstore it is, some bookstore on Instagram the other day had big stacks of their events books and they mm-hmm. wrote they wrote titles all the way down. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. But uh, I know that like every person I have asked who has read Turtles All the Way Down says it's his best one yet. So I I bought it. I went to on a little field trip to Rhinebeck, New York to Oblong Books, which I like to do like a couple times a year. Mm-hmm. And I bought a copy because they had signed copies and I was like, well, everyone says it's the best one. So, you know, I'm going to read it. I haven't read it yet. But um, also, if you've never been to Oblong Books, it's amazing. Like if you like watch the Gilmore Girls and you imagine Stars Hollow as a real place, that is Rhinebeck, New York. That is Mm. where Oblong Books is. Plus one of our Book Riot contributors, Nicole, works there, which is awesome. So I got to visit with her. Is it more Stars Hollowy than Portsmouth, New Hampshire, oh, where you oh, used yeah. to live? Oh, it yeah, is? yeah. Portsmouth is... Oh, my gosh, because yeah. when I came to visit you there a couple of years ago, I was like, it's like being in Gilmore Girls. No, no, this is way more. There's, like, a little chocolate store and a little falafel store and a delightful Indian restaurant called Cinnamon and, you know, a place that just sells bread, and it's so, so cute. Plus, like, a million famous people live in that area because it's, like, an hour from New York City, so... Mm. So, yeah, it's so twee and amazing. <laughs> awesome. Maybe we can talk them into, like, letting us be their podcasters in residence or something. We'll just go live in a cute little town for a yes! while. Yes, that would be amazing. I'll, Let's get I'll on I'll teach it. yoga, bookstore yoga. That's what we'll do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, my next pick this week is a paperback release of one of my favorite books of 2016. So if you listened to the show last year, you have heard about this already, but it is worth the reminder. It's On Living by Carrie Egan. Um, She was a longtime hospice chaplain. And if you're not clear, chaplains, you know, aren't preachers. They don't offer sermons. They usually only pray with people if the people that they're visiting request it. Their job, as Carrie Egan interprets it, is to help people along with the spiritual work of dying. That's the way that she phrases it. Um, or really to kind of bear witness as they do the spiritual work of dying. Um, to be with people at the end of their life as they work to make meaning of their lives, to resolve um 
wrongdoings or to resolve things that they haven't felt great about great about and the book is a collection of stories and lessons that she learned in her decades of doing this um these are really tender stories that people opened up uh, at the end of their lives and told her some of them are about betrayals, secrets that they kept, um, dreams that they never realized, uh, sort of the unfinished business, like things that they wish that they had revealed about their lives, but the moment passed. And so they've just been carrying these secrets forever, fears that they've had about being lovable enough or being good enough. And really the big questions of life that when your life is ending, you are, are, facing in a very big and serious way. Um, And for all the, I guess, darkness of those moments, there's a lot of light and beauty to it as well. And so the synopses of the book and Carrie Egan herself in the book says, this isn't a book about dying. It's a book about living. And that's why the book is called On Living, Um, that she takes these moments that people allowed her to be part of at the end of their lives to cast for the reader, okay, as you are living your life, knowing you'll eventually die, here are some lessons from ends of lives that can help you. You know, you don't want to have this moment at the end of your life. So think about how you can live, you know, more fully or more honestly or authentically or with more love and less shame, all those kinds of things. Um, It's really, really beautiful. She also tells some stories about her own personal experiences with loss and with grief. And it's one of those books about a universal human experience, um, something that will touch all of us, but that we don't talk about very well because it is so big and it is so difficult um, that I, I found so many great little nuggets of thought to hold on to about how I want to live. Um, and I think for a book club discussion, it would be wonderful for if you read and loved When Women Were Birds, which I know that I've talked about a million times, this is a really different book from that, but takes on some of those same kinds of how do we think about our lives issues. If you like Cheryl Strait, you're going to find a lot in On Living to enjoy. So again, it's On Living by Carrie Egan, and it is out in paperback this week, and everyone should read it. Um, I'm going to take your very lovely recommendation and be completely disrespectful and talk about this funny tweet that it reminded me of. <laughs> Because you said Chaplin, and it makes me think of Father on, you know, MASH. And did, oh. did you see the Chris Evans tweet? You know, Captain, Amer- no. Captain America? He was like, every time I hear the... I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but he's like, every time I hear the MASH theme, I get really stressed out because I think it's time for bed and I haven't finished my homework. <laughs> and I was like, that's a real thing. <laughs> that was really good stream of consciousness. <laughs> so, anyway... Um, my last pick, back to fun and fantastical. It's The Beautiful mm-hmm. Ones by Sylvia Marino Garcia. She wrote Certain Dark Things and Signal to Noise, both of which are excellent. And this is paranormal historical fiction set in a sort of alternate 19th century France. Like, it's not France, but it kind of seems like it is. Um, and it's about a couple of people. There's Hector. He is a performer. He performs feats of psychokinesis. That's telekinesis, Kyle. I never get tired of using. <laughs> I never get tired of using that Tenacious T reference. I love that album so much. Anyway, um, and he is in town at the first or second ball of the grand season, and where he meets Antonia, uh, but she or Ant- Antonina. That's that's how you say her name. But she goes by Nina because she hates Antonina. Um, and so Hector is a poor. Uh, 
grew he grew up poor, but he is now wealthy because he's been traveling around the world, making money and trying to prove himself. You know, because he's an he's uh, telekinetic. Uh, telekinetic. Those are hard words to say. Um, so he's sort of like looked down on. You know, like he's like he might as well be an actor. And, you know, that's just a terrible thing to be. Um, and Nina is this young sort of awkward girl. She also has powers of telekinesis. Um, and she's not really great at harnessing her abilities. Like, if she gets distressed, um, you know, a window will close or a plate will fall off the table or something like that, you know. But she, she's, so she's sort of, like, called a witch and looked down on. Um, but, like, the fact that people have these sort of powers isn't a big deal. Like, in this, in this universe, like, it's not like a, you know, they would lock them up or anything. It's just that, like, they have them and it makes them weird. Um, she just loves insects, which also makes her weird. Um, and she's just, she's visiting with her cousin, uh, he's insisted that she go to the ball um, because she's sort of an embarrassment to the family, at least to her cousin's wife. Her cousin is one of the town's wealthiest, most powerful men, and he's married to the gorgeous, cold-hearted Valerie. And Valerie is trying to instill, a like, the rules of proper society. Like, she's trying to make Nina graceful and, you know, quiet and demure, and she doesn't want any of that. Um, she's fighting it as hard as she can. So there's sort of like two outcasts who find each other at this grand season ball. Um, and eventually Hector announces his intentions to court Nina. Um, Valerie is furious, but not for the reasons that everyone thinks. Not because he's a performer, but because ten years before, unbeknownst to pretty much everyone else, she herself was engaged to Hector. And she oh. broke off their engagement to marry her husband because, hello, big bucks. Um, so... But as all this is going on, Nina falls for Hector. But will the truth be revealed? You know, are Hector's intentions honorable? Or is he just courting Nina to get close to the woman who broke his heart? It's a sort of, like, paranormal age of innocence. Um, it's Ooh. so much fun. And it's it's not... There's a, there's a lot to it. Um, it sort of flows along like a waltz. I just... I, I really loved... I loved everything about it. So it is The Beautiful Ones... And it is Sylvia Moreno-Garcia. Flows along like a waltz. It's really lovely, Lib. Thank you. Nicely done. Thanks very much. <laughs> um, my last pick this week is a book that just came across my desk, and so I will be reading it very soon. I've been sort of dipping in and out of the early parts of it. Uh, it is called An American Family, A Memoir of Hope and Sacrifice by Kieser Khan. Uh, and if you remember the 2016 Democratic National Convention, you'll remember that Khan is the gold star father of a Muslim American soldier who was killed, and he spoke at the Democratic National Convention and offered to lend Donald Trump his own copy of the Constitution that he carries around in his pocket and just captivated the country um, with his speech and then was all over the media. And so this is a book from him about his family's very particular experience as immigrants, but also that is intended to, um, to do what memoirs often do or what, you know, sort of a family story often does, which is to show that this is one of, of many experiences that do have some large things in common. The difficulty of being an immigrant, um, the struggle to, you know, succeed in achieving the American dream, which his family uh, seems to have done. He's He is very successful. His son was very successful. Um, and he and his wife built a beautiful life together with their family um, and then lost their son, um, who was killed while protecting his base camp in Iraq. Um, so 
a very sad story, but one that many families experience. Um, he's certainly, you know, not, these are certainly not the only parents who were immigrants to the country um, who have lost their children uh, fighting for the nation. And the way that his family was sort of thrust into the spotlight and then a lot of the responses to them were highly politicized and a lot of them were really ugly. Um, so this is sort of his turn to tell the whole story. Um, a captivating man should be an interesting book. And again, I have not read the whole thing yet, um, but I'm enjoying what I have dipped into so far. Um, one of those stories about why America does offer so much hope, but also um, how that's not just a clean and easy thing to achieve. So again, it's An American Family, A Memoir of Hope and Sacrifice by Kieser Khan. It's a great book. Yeah, like, I, like, I would want to read that book. I mean, I did read the book, but I would have liked to have read it not in the context that it was, you know, brought about, you know. Yeah, it's one of those books that, like, should just exist no matter what. Um, it's unfortunate, but, like, how right. they became famous. <laughs> yeah, I agree. So those are our new books. What are you going to read next? Oh, yeah. So speaking of serial killers, which we were earlier... Um, this came out last week, and I did not have a chance to get to it, but it's called Death in the Air, the true story of a serial killer, the great London smog, and the strangling of a city by Kate Winkler Dawson. And it is about December 1952 in London, um, when a killer smog held the city firmly in its grip and refused to let go. And by the time it was over, 12,000 people died from the poisonous air, but there was also John Reginald Christie, who was a serial killer and murdered six people, six women. Um, it sounds it sounds like, you know, the devil in the white city, sort of. Um, mm -hmm. but, but I'm all for it. I just watch Mindhunter, so I've got serial killers on the mind again. Um, <laughs> when do you not? I mean, really. Yeah, but, like, more than usual. So, and speaking of mom, um, what are you going to read next? <laughs> um, I am going to read Silence in the Age of Noise. It's by Erling Kaja, I hope, is how you pronounce it. Um, it's translated from the Norwegian by Becky Crook. Um, Kaja is a Norwegian explorer, author, publisher, and a father. He was the first person to walk alone on the South Pole and also the first to reach the three poles, which are North Pole, South Pole, and the summit of Mount Everest. And this is a book about um, his experience of silence in some very wild places. Where do you find silence? How do you create it. Um, and it's basically a meditation on silence around us and silence within us and how we can find and create silence in our daily lives in order to deal with all of the noise um, that we have in our daily lives. Um, not, I hadn't heard about it. It came across um, in my book mail, came across my desk last week, and I was like, oh, somebody has my number. <laughs> like that, This is a thing I'm interested in. Um, so I'm really looking forward to checking that out, seeing what it's all about. I, did, I didn't know there were more than two polls. Like I didn't either. Uh, like this it is says that in my the, mind. I know it says that in the synopsis. The well, three poles is in uh, scare quotes. So maybe I mean, obviously there's a North and South Pole. I don't know the story about the summit of Mount Everest being considered a pole, but the book says it. So maybe we should Google. <laughs> how like how many more poles are there? <laughs> are there actually like nine wonders of the world? I know pole position. I used to play it on Atari. Like, how many poles are there? We're asking the big questions yes. here on all the books. Well, that does it for us today. <laughs> Thank you to our sponsors. See. 
John's, yeah, Uncle John's bathroom reader. You can go to portablepress.com slash all the books to get a free sample. I think it's 20 free pages of Uncle John's bathroom reader. Thank you to Third Love. Go to thirdlove.com slash books for your free 30-day trial with one of their awesome bras. And to Turtles All the Way Down by John Green. We'll have a link to it in the show notes, or of course, you can find it wherever books are sold. If you have something to say to us, you can do that at all the books at bookriot.com or talk to us on Twitter. I'm Rebecca Shinsky, S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. Liberty's handle is Miss Liberty. And if you've got a minute to rate or review the show on Apple Podcasts, we would certainly appreciate that. And it helps other folks who are looking for what we think is a pretty awesome book-related show to find their way to us. As much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we have to go investigate how many polls there are. But you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, in the meantime, happy happy reading. reading.